got the drive to create things. You're a writer, a photographer, a musician, a maker. You're ready to make things happen. But chasing creative isn't always easy. Your time and energy go to your work, your family, and your life. Is it really possible to make space for the creative in your everyday? Here at the Chasing Creative Podcast, we believe you can. We're everyday creatives who have insights and action steps you can take today to make your creative plans happen. I'm Ashley Brooks, a freelance writer and editor at Brooks Editorial and a work-at-home mom of two. I would love to devote more time to creative writing, journaling, and blogging. And I'm Abigail Creeves, a writer and photographer behind Inkwells and Images. I'm also a work-at-home mom who is just beginning to learn the ropes of balancing a baby and everything else. And you are listening to the Chasing Creative Podcast. So we've been talking about how we consider lots of different types of things to be creative, whether that's cooking or quilting or writing, but do we ever actually seek to try something new? Ashley and I have been asking ourselves that question and we thought it would make a good podcast episode. So Ashley, have you ever tried anything in the past that wasn't something that you'd done before, specifically that was going to be like a new creative project? You know, I had to think about this one for a while because when I started thinking about all the types of creativity that I've done before, the list was longer than I initially would have guessed it was because right now my focus is so much on writing that it's kind of the only thing I think of. But then I started looking back at life and I realized that as a kid, I was trying new things all the time. And I don't know if that's just because people are giving you those opportunities as a kid, like they want you to find your thing. So you're exposed to lots of different intro classes and just opportunities to try those different things. But by the time I was 10, I had done piano, two different types of dance, flute, piccolo, choir. Um, It was all very music based, but like lots of different things that all sort of fell by the wayside. And then I realized that as an adult, the only new thing I have really ever done in recent years is cooking. And that's something that started out out of necessity once I got married it was a skill that I needed like I have to buy groceries and turn them into dinner (laughs) and um, it's grown into something every single day I know it's the worst right (laughs) so it's grown into something I enjoy and I consider creative but when I started it I definitely wasn't thinking of this as like this is my new creative endeavor so in recent years um, there has not been too much new stuff going on in my life how about you No, I kind of feel the same way when we're kids, we do all of these different creative things. Like you have art class every single year, all up through high school, sometimes even. And I was always that, you know, quote unquote, creative kid. I was really good at a little bit of everything. I could draw and I could paint and I could do a little bit of sculpting. And I was in choir. Um, I played piano for a very short time. And then when I turned 14, I had to get a job. had to get a job. (laughs) So that was one of my stepmom's weird rules. You're in high school. You need a job now. Um, So I had to quit piano lessons. Um, I always had neat handwriting, um, inherently like decent aesthetics. Like I always knew when things looked good or right. I just was decent at that, even as a, a kid and a junior high student. Um, I was pretty good when I picked up a camera. I was president of our art club. So like I did everything that was artistic that was put in front of me. It just was something that I did. Um, And so I find that as an adult, you have to be a lot more intentional about finding anything, Um, but also that I'm really hesitant to add new creative things to my plate because it inherently means that I have to drop something else that's already there. And usually it's not even a creative thing. It's like, 
oh, if I want to try this new thing, I have to stop cleaning the house, which isn't always an opportunity (laughs) that you get to take as an adult with a family to take care of. Um, So I know a friend gifted me a really neat little calligraphy set when Arthur was born, thinking it would be something that I could pick up and put down whenever I wanted to. And I've never even opened it nine months later, because if I spend time on that, I'm not going to have time to write or pick up my camera. And those aren't things that I'm willing to set aside at this point for something new. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can all really relate to that where, especially with all of the talk going around on blogs and stuff these days about like every time you say yes to something you're saying no to something else when you're already so Mm -hmm. crunched for time it can be hard to say oh I'm just going to try this new thing and see where it goes when meanwhile you're like but this is the real passion project and I don't even have time for that like how can (laughs) I take on something new Mm -hmm. so yeah I think that is definitely relatable (laughs) when you're writing Do do you do the same exact writing every time or do you try new writing projects within the umbrella of writing? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) That was once again, like when we were in college, we were forced to try different styles of writing and like, you don't think you're a poet too bad. You have to spend a semester writing Mm -hmm. poetry. And that was probably really good for me, even though it turns out I was right. I'm not a poet, (laughs) but it still stretches your writing muscles in a different way. And I feel like that could be applied to other types of creativity too, you know, painting or working Mm -hmm. within different mediums and Um, I guess right now I pretty much always do short personal essays just because they're so accessible right now with the kids Mm -hmm. being young and there is so much material in my life to choose from with the kids (laughs) being young. There's always a story there, even if it's just like, oh my gosh, how is this happening right now? Like, how is there poop on my floor at the moment? You know? Yes. Um, So... That's kind of the genre I've been sticking to lately, but you know, in 2018, I do want to try my hand at writing a novel, which is partly terrifying because it is such a different beast that I don't know if I can really tackle that. Yeah, being both way longer than a personal essay and also fiction when typically you write nonfiction or creative nonfiction. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I feel with my own either writing or photography, I tend to just kind of add new creative skills to something that I already do. So whether that's um, writing a different kind of essay or taking a different kind of photo or learning a new photo skill, um, like I know how to cook, but maybe I'll try out a different recipe with a technique I've never done before. I doesn't feel like taking on a whole new creative project but it still feels like you're kind of stretching that creative muscle a little bit more than if I was just doing like the same exact thing, like knitting the same pair of socks every single day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a good point. And it's, it's good to think of that other aspect too, of that, like you're stretching yourself and you are gaining new skills. And maybe even if a different type of writing or a different type of cooking doesn't end up working for you you can still Mm -hmm. sometimes apply those principles back to what you were doing before and it still sort of shapes your perspective as a creative and as an artist I think so that's really really a good way to look at it I like that so when you set out to try a new creative project how, uh, how do you choose what creative project to try or where do you get kind of your inspiration from yeah so with writing ideas just spring up from absolutely nowhere but um, 
Thanks to things like Pinterest and Instagram, I've been drawn to more visual things, even though that's not something that I would ever have considered myself good at, um, like drawing or even like having nice handwriting and that kind of thing. Just seeing what other people are doing in those areas on social media can be really inspiring, but then also really like despairing at the same time because you're like, I would <laughs> never be able to do that. Um, yes. I would say that the closest thing I have come to that would be like when I started knitting several years ago was just because I could see like, oh, like we've got these hand knit Christmas stockings and I know I'll want to be able to knit Christmas stockings for my kids someday when I have them. And so it was sort of a motivation like that, but I wouldn't necessarily say it was inspiration. It was just like, this is something I know I will want to learn how to do. So I will force myself to learn. Oh, wow. That's like true dedication when you don't really actually want to do it, but you think you will someday. That's that's thinking mm -hmm. ahead. Yeah, that's yeah. that's how crazy college Ashley was. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You were already thinking ahead to kids when you were in college learning how to knit. That's wonderful. Yeah, like a normal person, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, no, I agree with you on like the words thing. I think when you're a writer, words just kind of haunt you from every corner of your house when you least have the ability to put them down on paper. Like, oh, I'm shampooing my hair. Wouldn't that be a great way to open that scene? And you can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like I always want to try new creative projects, like want to try, not necessarily going to try, but want to try <laughs> um, whenever other people are really like waxing poetic about how much they love them. Um, so like photo a day challenges and things like that, or mm -hmm. I see your knitting and everyone else, like, I feel like there's an explosion of knitting these days on Instagram yeah. and everything. And I see everyone knitting and it looks so useful to me, which is also, I've kind of discovered in thinking through this topic, like creative projects have to be either useful for me or take up like no space, like words on a computer don't really clutter up my house. Whereas if I was to, you know, sculpt fish for a living, like there's, <laughs> there's a limit to how many pieces of clay fish you can settle over your house. And I'm kind of discovering that that's the trigger for me, that creativity is not working is when like, I don't have any place to put it. So I feel like knitting sounds really great because it's a use, a good productive use of time, you know, knit while in the carpool lane, knit while watching TV but also knitted things tend to be a little more like conducive to ordinary life. Yeah, and it is, I will say that it is useful, like you're making useful things, but then there's this whole, like a cliche among knitters, I guess, where we're always giving mm -hmm. people gifts that they don't really want because we found a pattern <laughs> for something that we wanted to try, but it was either the yarn didn't come in a color that we would wear or nobody in our family needed it, so we're just giving away all these knitted goods to people who are like, oh, another tea cozy thank you so much <laughs> just because we wanted to make that pattern but we didn't actually want the finished product <laughs> i get that i get that but you also don't want to be like bothered with selling it in an etsy shop so i know right <laughs> I, I find that inspiration for creative projects comes from just about everywhere and if you really want to like you can google anything and learn anything so it's it's easy to get it's easy to want to start new creative projects because it's so like the, the bar is set really low as far as entry. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's sort of how I've been feeling lately with social media, seeing all of these beautiful, like 
calligraphy, handwritten things, mm-hmm. or like even seeing people with like their nice photos that they've taken with their nice DSLR cameras. And I have one, and I'm always like, I think I'm a lot better with it than I used to be, but it's still like seeing other people's work is very much so like, okay, so am I going to take the time to actually learn Mm -hmm. how to do that? Or am I going to just sit here and keep looking at their stuff and going, I should do this, or I wish I could do that? Because Mm -hmm. there's a point where I'm like, maybe I just need to be able to appreciate what other people are doing and go, but that's not my thing. Or else I need to set aside time and actually, like you said, Google and learn because we have that resource right there. You can do anything Mm -hmm. with it. And the flip side to that is you can get absolutely lost in Google and never actually spend time on your creative projects, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later in this episode, too. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So have you ever picked up something that you had a vague interest in and discovered that you really either loved it or hated it? I think knitting, again, is the closest I've come with this. And like I said, I picked it up less out of like, oh, that looks cool. I think there were more younger people starting to knit at the time I started, which was right around like 2009, 2010. Um, I actually had a cousin who taught me because her grandma, my great aunt, had taught her how to do it. So she taught me, and I think it was that having her show me in person and being able to see things that she had made sparked it from more of a totally utilitarian, like I would like to be able to knit a Christmas stocking and turned it into like, oh, this could actually be fun because I saw her actually like knitting while she watched TV and having that productive use of your time or like using this to relax at the end of a long day of work. And it sort Mm -hmm. of made it more inspiring for me. Um, And I didn't like it at first. I had to get past learning the basics and using the boring yarn and doing the boring patterns. (laughs) But eventually you get there. It's similar to cooking. You need to know how to boil water before you can do anything fancy. Um, So yeah, how about you? Have you ever had one of those experiences where you just tried something and fell in love? Um, Podcasting, definitely. And I never would have picked it up if it wasn't for you. So thank you, Ashley, for deciding to start a podcast and bringing me on board. Um, so, I mean, we had no idea what we were doing and I really discovered that we kind of love the medium and we're decent enough at it. Like neither one of us, I think this is a really interesting experiment because neither one of us have decided like, I'm going to become the world's best audio editor, but we still love what we're doing. And that's Mm -hmm. really cool to me. Like everything else I was going to be like, I want to be the best, best, best. But for podcasting, I'm like, I'm okay with being okay. And that's unusual. Yeah. That's how I feel about it, too. I actually forget that this is a creative venture that we're doing. Like, not only are we talking Mm -hmm. about creativity, but this is in itself kind of a creative (laughs) medium. Like, it's easy to forget that. And then everybody is so focused on, like, I don't know, building a platform and making their next thing. And this really is just kind of like a side fun thing for me that it is really easy to keep it in that happy place for me. Yeah, I agree. That was a good one. That's good. It is good. Um, but other than that photography, I got a 110 millimeter camera, one of those like old rectangle things. 
um, film camera for all you you young people um, to take to church camp with me one year. And I just, I fell in love. I took pictures of everything and like a lot of stupid stuff that didn't need to have pictures taken of it. Um, but since then I've really, you know, upgraded equipment and spent lots of my own personal money to get better and to study and to practice and shoot just, you know, thousands of frames of photos and figure out what I'm doing wrong and how I can do it better. Um, so that has been something that I just kind of tried on a whim and decided like, yes, this is for me and I'm going to spend my own personal time and money getting better at it. Yeah. And that's so cool. Like what a random thing, like you just got like a film camera even that sparked your love of it right now. I feel like everybody's getting into photography because they feel like they have to, to keep up with the blogging and social media world. So it's, that's a really cool entry into that world. I love that story. Yeah. That was pretty much like all of my Christmas presents from age probably 12 on is like some new iteration of a camera or tripod or something. It was, it was pretty great. Yeah, and that's those are good Christmas presents to get too because they're so expensive. You don't want to pay for that yourself when you're, you know, no. a child, especially. Exactly. Um, so, anything that you know creatively is just not for you. Um. So, like I've said, anything in the realm of visual art is not really my thing. <laughs> um. So, drawing, painting, pretty much anything that involves hand-eye coordination is difficult for me um I would but say you that knit. I do but that's different in a way that's just okay. like making string go where it needs to go rather than like I'm going to try to like use my hand to draw this thing on paper okay. I don't know for whatever so reason do the, yeah do the patterns help like knitting patterns Yes, I have never made anything knitting without a pattern. Um, Okay. And I'm not one of those people who can do my own patterns. That leads me into my other thing that's tough for me is anything (laughs) math-based. So if you're going to make your own patterns, you have to be like halfway decent at math and you have to figure out what's called a gauge in knitting. So like how many... I see. I never actually test my gauge. I'm a very bad knitter. You're always supposed to start by testing your gauge so that you know, like, depending on how tight or how loose you knit, how many Mm -hmm. stitches per inch so that you can do the pattern properly so that it comes out proportional. I just know that I tend towards knitting a little bit tighter and then I never actually knit my gauge because the math is like, I just hate the math of it. And so that pretty much prohibits me from making my own patterns. And it also makes things tough with like I always want to be better at sewing and be able to do more than just like sew a button but actually get out my sewing machine and um I don't even know what I would do with it like I could make clothes potentially or like blankets or I don't know Mm -hmm. all these things that you can sew and it just feels impossible because I'm like but there is so much math I just like I don't even want to try to figure out how to do it because I know I would get confused (laughs) I, I understand that. My aunt, my, so my, my dad's entire family are sewers and quilters and all of that kind of thing. And my aunt actually used to own a quilt shop, like where she sold quilt fabric and taught lessons and all of that kind of thing. And she's one of those like incredibly like visually gifted people who also has a good like business head and she just made it work for her. And I always feel like everyone else in my family sews. I know how to sew. They taught me I should probably do this, but uh, fabric's really expensive. And like, what am I going to make that's actually going to be useful? Like you can only have so many quilts in your house or hanging on your walls or whatever. So 
Although I just, I yeah. think I saw this year that I think I saw on Instagram not long ago that this year Elise Blaha Kripe, who we've had on the podcast before, she's mm-hmm. the creator behind the Get to Workbook. Um, she is taking on a project this year where she tries to make all of her clothes rather than buying them. Mm-hmm. I could be totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure that I saw that she was doing that. So whether through knitting or sewing. And it's like, well, if you could sew and you could sew your own clothes rather than being subject to the whims of the fashion industry, that would be pretty cool. (laughs) Yes. And I have thought about doing that before. But again, like in order to get really good at it, you have to there's a lot of trial and error involved and fabric is expensive. And maybe I'm just too frugal for my own creative good. But I just, I can't like go drop $50 on fabric that may or may not turn into a shirt when I can probably go buy a shirt for like 25 Yeah. And the same thing happens with knitting too, where yeah. um, you look at something in a store and you're like, well, I could make that. And then you think about it and you're like, but the price of yarn per skein and how many skeins <laughs> would I need to knit this sweater? And it's like, I mean, to make like a nice like blanket, for instance, knitted is going to be at least $100 plus Mm -hmm. your time and that's just like probably middle of the road yarn it could easily get up to being hundreds if you're buying really nice yarn and it's the same thing you're like how much am I willing to spend or do I just buy the thing that's right here yes it's $39.95 and then I don't have to think about it anymore Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so yeah too frugal too frugal for my own good yeah are there any other types of creative projects that have sort of just not worked out for you? Um, yeah, a few. So I learned in high school that I hate acrylic paints because they dry too quickly and they need a lot of undivided attention. And apparently even in high school, I could not give them undivided attention and always (laughs) hated projects because they dried too quickly and you couldn't change things. Um, so I learned that I really prefer working with oil paints, which just is a whole nother level of mess because you can't they're not water-based, so you have to have like paint thinner to wash your hands, and it gets tricky and messy. And so that's a whole different like layer of creative dedication. Like, how much time are you going to spend on your project when you're just going to have to undo it all again? Um, scrapbooking. I did scrapbooking as a kid Ugh. because everyone's like, "Oh, <laughs> you like art and you're good at taking photos. You should scrapbook." And so that was like one of the gifts that I got was a scrapbook and supplies. And I find again as an adult, I'm just too frugal to make scrapbooking really a creative endeavor and buy all the stickers and the templates and like the corner squares and stuff. And so I just. I don't do it. I also realize that no one is going to want to look back at like dozens and dozens of pages of my scrapbooked life uh, ever. Like I probably am not going to want to. I'm certain that my children are not going to want to. So for Arthur's baby book, rather than get caught up in like the scrapbooking of the baby book, I just bought the simplest one possible with lots of room for photos. And I'm just taping photos in and drawing like arrows and explaining the photo. And that's all I'm doing. (laughs) And that sounds cute to me, like, because I feel like scrapbooking was such a big thing, maybe in like in the 90s and the 2000s. And my mom was super into it. And I always used to look at that and just be like, that does not look like fun. Like you're cutting up these tiny squares of paper and you Mm -hmm. are gluing them. And we never ate at our dining room table when I grew up as a kid because I was I'm an only child so we would just eat at like the breakfast bar thing in the kitchen we didn't need the Mm -hmm. dining room table so it was always full 
of all these little random scraps of paper and pictures and glue sticks and like coordinating stickers and like yes. all the special paper and I'm just like ah and now there's these giant scrapbooks like she did my entire life from like birth until age 18 so there are several ex-boyfriends in these scrapbooks and <laughs> Jacob my husband <laughs> is not in any of them because we weren't dating when we were 18 so he did not make the scrapbooks <laughs> Oh, that's delightful. But do you go back when you go home and like look through the 18 volumes of your life and think like, oh, I'm so glad my mom did this. You know, not really. Because exactly. <laughs> and that's, I just finally like came to that conclusion. I was like, this is stupid and I'm not wasting more time and money on it. And well, no offense against anyone who likes to scrapbook, but it is just is not my thing. Yeah. And you know what it is, is that they have all of the same photos that are in the scrapbooks in just regular photo albums. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like looking through because there's other people in them besides just me. Yes. And I'm like, I don't want to just look at pictures of myself, which as an only child, many of the photos were just me by myself. And like, <laughs> that's awkward. Like, I don't want to just look at pictures of me. Like, I would rather look at the family photo albums. So that's more the track we're taking is like, it's literally just a photo book and I'm keeping like family albums. Like every kid gets a baby mm -hmm. book up until their first year. And then we'll just have a family photo album for like every two years or however many I can fit in a book, you know, just something simple. Yeah. Yeah. That you don't have to spend time like making it look pretty because photos are pretty enough themselves. Exactly. And I have never looked back on our family photos and been like, oh, I wish my mom had written a paragraph on the back of this about like what a great memory this was. Like I have never yeah. thought that. So all of that pressure to like write a journal entry for every photograph you take or anything mm. like that is just no, that is not my brand of creativity. Again, if that's, that's you, that's awesome. But that is not us apparently. <laughs> no, 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 no. And maybe this is purely like a modern mom thing. I don't know, like, I feel like so much of our lives are recorded on the internet, too, that maybe yeah, we don't need... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, to do as much behind-the-scenes maneuvering of the, the photos. Yes. So are there any things we used to do um, growing up or in childhood that we don't make time for now, either because we don't want to or because we can't? <laughs> um, well, scrapbooking, I don't do that anymore. Um, also painting, I think someday I would like to do it again, but it's just too intense of a setup teardown process right now. And I get such tiny, tiny little windows of time to do anything creative that it just isn't worth it to me. Um, mm -hmm. I always feel like I should get back to singing. I was in choir in high school. And so I think like, oh, I should join the church's worship team or the local choir at Christmas. And I just don't see really being able to make it to practices on a routine basis without being stressed about it while still nursing a baby and having to be home for nap times and all of that kind of thing. So knowing that I will probably just have another baby in a year or two means that I haven't jumped in, even though like I'm coming to the end of Arthur's babyhood, like at some point there will be another one. And so do I even jump into a new creative project where other people are depending on me? If it just means like I'm going to get six months and then I'm going to be like, oh, guys, sorry, got to bow out again. Yeah. The logistics of things with kids are so tricky. And even trying to figure out like work things or like 
Mm-hmm. I don't know, just anything that you have to work around maternity leave is like, I want to commit to this, but I also don't want to commit to it because when am I going to have another baby? And it's yeah. hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but other than that, just writing a novel, I tried really hard for a few years and life kept getting in the way, either job schedules or building a house or having a baby. And now I haven't even like, it's not even on my radar for 2018 as something that I'd consider getting back to because I just don't see where time for that would be, which is like the exact opposite tack that you're taking in 2018. You're like, I think I might have time to write a novel. So I like, I like how different that is in our lives. Yeah, well, because in my life, I have always prioritized my freelance business. Um, Mm -hmm. Even once I had the kids, like I obviously didn't place the business above them and their needs, but it was prioritized to the point where I would find 20 hours a week to work um, without regular consistent childcare. And that is insane. So Mm -hmm. I'm I have cut that in half and I'm like, okay, so theoretically I should have at least 10 hours extra a week maybe not extra, but I should be able to find 10 hours a week to work on a novel if I really wanted to, or if I even wanted like a more relaxed schedule that wasn't so hectic because that was pretty tough to pull off. Mm -hmm. Um, Even five hours a week to work on a novel, like it's not great, but it's not nothing. And um, I just, it's just one of those things where I think I would rather um, just go with it and see where it goes. And if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out and I'll put it on the back burner. But I think I want to give it a try because it's not something I have ever actively pursued before. So we'll just have to see where it goes. No, I love that train of thought, um, which kind of means I drug you off topic here, but is there anything that you don't make time for now that you think you'd like to at some point? Yeah, this, (laughs) so this episode really got me realizing all of the musical things that I used to do. Like as I was listing all the things I used to do as a kid, I was like, oh, this was all music and I don't do any of that anymore right now. And I kind of feel bad about that. Now that I think about it, I'm like, I really liked, um, flute especially was really fun for me and it came very naturally for me and was very relaxing and now I'm like okay so I still have my flute and I can I'm sure there's like music all over the place online if you only take the time to look it up Mm -hmm. but I'm it's been almost 10 years since I've played on a regular basis and I'm probably approaching the point where if I don't pick it up again I'm going to have to just learn all over again from scratch Um, I think I remember like most of the fingerings and I know I can still read music because that's I think I learned that when I was like young enough that I'll probably Mm -hmm. never lose it but just the different aspects of playing you know the way that you breathe and the like your mouth shape your embouchure shape all of that stuff I think that I will lose if I don't get back into it soon but at the same time you think about the logistics with kids and you're like okay so when am I going to do this that they're not sleeping and when am I going to do this that they're not going to try to destroy a flute or like take it away from me because they want to play yes yeah yeah like it wouldn't be very relaxing (laughs) no do you stage it maybe as mommy's giving a concert everybody gather round sit cross-legged on the floor Right. Like today we will have some classical music. So um, I'm not totally sure what that would look like. I'm hoping that like we are talking about doing some renovations to our house right now just because we're a little bit cramped for space now that we've got a third baby coming. So I'm hoping that there might be space for me to um, kind of have a separate 
area in the house where I could potentially play after they go to bed and it wouldn't wake them up because it's Mm -hmm. like flute's not exactly a loud instrument. It's just a high pitched instrument. So it carries. Um, So I have hope that that might change a little bit in the future. But otherwise, I think that in another five or 10 years, if life looks a little bit different, that's something that I would want to commit myself to going back to, even if it means learning right from the beginning again, unfortunately. But at least you know that someday it's something that you think you want to try. Yeah, I'm glad this reminded me of it, too, because it's one of those things that I almost forget about, even though it used to be part of my daily life for like Mm -hmm. years at a time. It's crazy how quickly things can change. I think it was at Thanksgiving this last year. My nephew had, is it, is it an Etch-a-Sketch? Not an Etch-a-Sketch, a magnadoodle with the, the little the magnet mm, thing yep. and you draw on it. And he's like, you know, Abby, draw a duck. And I was like, hey, I can draw. I forgot that I could draw. And so I just started like drawing all the animals. And that was really fun mm-hmm. and relaxing and no pressure because he's three. He doesn't care what the duck looks like. Yeah. And you know what? That'll come back to you in just a couple of years because Hadley is three right now and she Mm -hmm. always wants me to draw with her. And I'm just sitting there drawing stick figures because I'm like, I have never really tried drawing. Like no one's really encouraged me to do it because I was always so bad at it. I don't even know what to draw. So I'm definitely expanding my creative reach there, even though it's nothing super great. So you'll get a chance to get back to that in a couple of years. It'll be fun. I like that. That is the phase of kids that I'm really looking forward to is like craft time. I don't know how nerdy mm-hmm. that makes me, but I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. That's okay. You'll be a good mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know you and I have both mentioned already in this episode that we can get caught up a little bit in preparing for a new project rather than just buckling down and actually doing the new project. Uh, So how do you keep from procrastinating by research and not starting? Oh, it's hard. Like (laughs) over-researching is like my natural state of being. Yes. (laughs) Like learning more about things is, I don't know what it is. It's addictive. And I don't know if that's just because there's so much information available at Mm -hmm. our fingertips or if it's just part of my natural personality or what, but Um, I find that if I get to the point where my head is spinning or if I feel like I'm just drowning in information but I'm not learning anything new, that's when it's time to step back from the research phase and just do the thing. So, um, you know, with a creative project, that could be like, okay, I need to stop watching tutorials about calligraphy handwriting or I need to stop like researching what's the best type of paint and canvas to buy and I just need to go get something and start Mm -hmm. how about you yes guilty 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 out of curiosity do you know your Enneagram number I think I'm a four okay that is my guess I've taken a couple different tests and I am pretty sure that I am a five which is the investigator and mm-hmm. I guess the number five's hallmark is research things to death and know everything for the <laughs> sake of knowing it. And I was like, yep, not that's no, that's not me at all. <laughs> so, and that's yeah, not definitely. surprising with you as an INTJ. That fits really yes. well with your TJ-ness, I think. <laughs> yes, it does. I was like, yeah, I, I don't have to question that. That's probably accurate. Um, so yeah, the over-researching phase, I know very, very well. So I know how to query a novel and how to write a book proposal. These are both things that I do not need to know until I actually ever finish a novel, which is, you know, 50-some <laughs> thousand words away from being completed. 
So I have been there and researched that. <laughs> yeah, at least you're prepared, though, you know? I know. I, mean, I almost feel a little bit like as I'm starting to work on this novel, I feel because I've been so immersed in the world of memoir and creative mm-hmm. nonfiction, I've actually been like, maybe I should wait and read a book about story structure and plot lines and stuff first. And that's kind of how I'm leaning. I'm like, no, I should not do that first because that will get me overthinking about plot lines and whatever. Mm -hmm. And maybe I just need to start writing and let things happen and I can go back and tweak the plot later if I do it wrong. (laughs) Yes. And that this will be my only advice to you in writing your novel is just write. Like, don't research stupid stuff that's going to pull you off track. And also, don't, like, have a critique partner until you've got at least a full, crappy first draft and you've gone through it once and deleted everything that you would be embarrassed by. So those are my, my two little points of advice. Oh, that's good, because I don't have anybody who could be a critique partner with me that I know of. I haven't, like, gone looking for somebody. So I'm like, that's good to know. That's, like, something off my plate that I just, like... Let's just do the work, like butt yep. in the chair, get your writing done. Yep. Just write like, the crappy nothing first Nothing can happen. <laughs> yes, nothing can happen until the words are on the paper. <laughs> yes, I love the quote from, I believe it's Shannon Hale. She is a novelist. She wrote Austin Land. But she says that the first draft is just her shoveling sand into the sandbox so that later she can build sandcastles. And that just always makes me like shiver with goodness. And that's true because you know what? There is such a big difference between a sandbox with a pile of sand in it Mm -hmm. and an actual sandcastle or like I'm even picturing those like magnificent sand sculptures that artists do (laughs) on the beach. Like huge difference. Like Mm -hmm. your first draft does not have to be that good. So that's great imagery for me. I'm just shoveling sand. You can't build a sandcastle until you have sand to work with. So get those words on paper. Um, I'm talking to myself too. I should just, I should just do this. Otherwise I feel like sometimes I have a bit of a perfectionist tendency and that gets in the way of starting. So not even just like over researching, but you know, I'm not going to be any good at it anyway, or if it's not going to be perfect, what, what is the point of doing this? So sometimes that I think is trips me up as well. I have that too with, once again, the visual stuff. So the drawing and the painting and like, I, I don't know if it's like a lack of inspiration, but if somebody hands me a blank piece of paper, I just don't know what to do with it. Like Hadley will be like, come paint with me or come draw with me. And I just don't even know what to do. And Mm -hmm. part of it, I think, is that everything I think of to draw, I'm like, oh, well, that's not going to actually look like what I want it to look like. So I should not do that. I should do something else. And I'm like, no, that's not the point. Like I'm drawing (laughs) with a three-year-old. It doesn't need to look like what I think it has to look like. Like there should be no perfectionist tendencies here. You should just like draw what you want to draw and see what happens. Good advice for everyone. And I think that's maybe the best advice there is for even just trying a new type of creativity is give it a shot and enjoy it. With that being said, one thing that is not new for us is reading. No, not at all. I think it's time for Mini Book Club. (laughs) Yeah. So what have you been reading? Um, My latest read was called Perennial Seller, The Art of Making and Marketing Work That Lasts by Ryan Holiday. And this book is sort of a mashup of 
the creative process and then taking the work you produced and actually selling it in a way that's not just like, oh, you were the number one bestseller on Amazon for two weeks and now everyone's forgotten about you, but Mm -hmm. in a way where you actually have a chance at becoming a timeless classic piece of art that people continue to refer to for years and maybe even decades to come, which I think is a really great perspective because we don't want our art to be forgotten. Like even if we are, like say you're a published novelist, but your book doesn't sell well for whatever reason, or um, I don't know, like it sells really well, but then in a couple of years down the road, nobody remembers who you are anymore. Like nobody wants that for their art. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants the art that they work so hard on to be forgotten. So it was sort of a marriage of those two ideas. Like you have to make the work and the work has to be good. Like your work will not be timeless if it's shoddy, if it's not (laughs) up to standards. So I really appreciated that it wasn't just a marketing book, that he started Mm -hmm. there and said, you know, here's the creative process. This is a lot of hard work. If you're going to do something that has value, it needs to be worth people's attention. And then he moves into the marketing, which is a little bit businessy, a little bit Mm -hmm. sleazy, as it always kind of seems to for people who aren't naturally salespeople. But I did appreciate his approach to it. He tried to stay away from anything that was super trendy or anyone who was just like buying their way to the top through advertisements and that sort of thing. So the marketing section was, I mean, it was about marketing. Like it's, it's only (laughs) going to be so good because it's not my favorite topic in the world, but it is necessary. And I think it's probably a good thing for creatives to familiarize themselves with and I also appreciated that he focused on the creative cycle as like this secular, secular, cyclical, (laughs) cyclical thing with seasons. So first you're creating your work and you focus on creating your work and then you're selling your work and you focus on selling your work and then you move on to creating the next work rather than trying to do everything all at the same time. So I like that. All in all. Yeah, I did like it. It was if you're not looking to sell something right now or if you're not like if your art and your creativity is truly just a hobby or it's truly just something you do for yourself and you don't really care about the rest of the world being let in on what you're doing, then it's definitely not something worth reading because it is about marketing. But if you're somebody who is trying to get published or who really wants to get your work out there or you're trying to start a business off of your creative hobbies, Um, it's probably something worth reading. I really enjoyed it. No, I'll have to add that one to the list for someday down the road when I once again read businessy books. I just kind of am not reading them right now because I don't have any time to do anything with them and then I just feel guilty about it. So, Yeah, that's fair. That is very fair. So what have you been reading lately? Um, I am actually pulling an Ashley at the moment is what I'm going to call it. And I think I'm in the middle of like five books, which is not something that I do. I read one book at a time from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've randomly started a couple of different books because of like where I was at the moment and it was all that I had at hand or, ooh, I really want to start this one and read it at this point in time. So maybe I'll start it and then I get like one chapter in and I haven't continued. So a couple of them are nonfiction and then... um, one is a novel for my book club coming up in the, later this month. And then one of them is another kind of like recipe slash essay book. 
Um, I think last week I talked about Bread and Wine by Shauna Nyquist. And this one is Mm -hmm. Dinner, A Love Story by Jenny Rosenstratch. I'm guessing that's how you pronounce her name. Uh, mm-hmm. That's as, as best as I can get. Um, but anyway, it's a. She was an editor at Real Simple for a while, and then started her own blog after she had kids, and detailed every single dinner that they ever ate. And she has, I want to say, like the last fifteen years of dinners, like family dinners that she's fed just her and her husband, or her and her kids and husband every single evening for like 15 years. It's really kind of crazy that she has, yes, she calls it the (laughs) dinner diary. And she's like, nobody has to be as crazy as me, but I found this really fun when I started cooking and cooking like for real. Um, And so she's just got this really cool book where it kind of tells her story and her family's story and how she got into cooking. And then also has like the recipes she started with. And I'm only about a third of the way through the book. But I imagine like as the book goes, the recipes will get more complicated because she's learned how to do different things or, you know, oh, now we have kids. So these recipes include things that are a little more kid friendly than, you know, chicken cacciatore and that kind of thing. So I'm really enjoying it. Um, One of my kind of loose goals this year is to make new recipes and kind of get out of the cooking rut or lack of cooking rut that we fell into this last year um, with a new baby in the house. So I feel feel like books that have recipes in them are kind of a natural fit into life right now and I'm really enjoying them too yeah that is like I can't even imagine keeping track of all those dinners and Mm -hmm. I'm sure that it's a really great resource for her not only as like a a memory keeping device that is so unique to her and her family because think of how much stuff goes on at family dinners Mm -hmm. Um, but also just like to look back at a recipe and be like I can't remember if people liked this or there was something I didn't care for here what did I want to tweak I forgot to write that down or um, even just like I don't know what to make for dinner what were we eating on this day five years ago like how fun would that be Yeah, that's what I keep thinking. Like, it seems like a really, really neat way to do it. And I kind of write our meal plans in my get to work book. And weirdly, I have started saving my get to work books at the end of each year. So maybe someday we'll do something weird like that. Um, But I I definitely have no desire to document every single meal that I ever eat. Well, that is a really interesting take. It's almost like one of those... um like another one of those books that's like kind of like a memoir, but not quite like a memoir, but like exactly. little essays. Mm-hmm. I think I need to definitely put that on my list because of the, the essay food connection. We seem to be really into that lately. We do. I think it's just kind of the season of life that we're in. Like every single day we have to make food for other people. And so why not make it something that we look forward to or something that's a little bit more enjoyable than just, oh my goodness, I have to feed these people again. Yeah. And I think we're also entering that season of life where food is really more about like literally keeping yourself alive and more Mm -hmm. about connecting with other people too, where like it's the end of a long day and you're connecting with your husband or, you know, you are like, Hadley likes telling us about her day, even though I was with her all day long. It's super Aww, cute. Like we sit really at the table sweet. and she asks Jacob how his day was. And then she asks how my day was. And I'm like, I've been together with you <laughs> since you woke up this morning. <laughs> and like, it is super cute, but. Well, my three-year-old daughter got out of bed and she was cranky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So 
you know, it's I think we're getting into that season where we really start to see that like gathering around the table now mm -hmm. that we've got kids, even though they're still so little. So that's probably part of what's drawing us that direction. But yeah, yeah. that sounds like a great book to add to the list. Yeah. And I've already earmarked probably like eight recipes out of it that I want to try because they're all really approachable because she was a beginner and that makes it super, I don't know, like low bar of entry. It's not some complicated something or other that I need to go out and buy like 18 ingredients that I don't already have in my pantry. So that makes, oh, it, yeah. that makes it fun too. If a recipe calls for like more than two things I don't already have, I'm like, this is not the recipe for me today. <laughs> Yes, or next week, or probably next month. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, two good books for everybody to check out this week. And with that, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Chasing Creative podcast. If you like what you heard in this episode, be sure to stop by chasingcreative.com to check out the show notes, catch up on past episodes, and subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. You can also join in the creative conversation by tweeting to us at Abigail E. Creeds or at Brooks Editorial, or by using the hashtag Chasing Creative on Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to help us bring this podcast to life each week, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash chasing creative. And if you have any feedback for us, drop us a line at chasingcreativepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go chase your creative.